Making It Happen by Sims is a brand new podcast bringing business, people and technology together. Available now on YouTube, Spotify, Apple and all your favourite podcast platforms. Learn more about the creators behind the podcast at sims.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Hello, hello again, and welcome to, well, this is welcome to number two um, of our podcast of the first day of the Subcon show, Chatty Hatter's podcast, That Engineering Chat, are doing a Subcon takeover. They very kindly asked us to come along, talk to some special people that they wanted us to chat to, and find out a bit more about why they're here and what they can bring to the show, and of course, what they can bring to their audience, and part of that audience is you guys. You may well be here at this very moment, or you might be listening to this after the show. It's taking place from the 7th to the 9th of June um, and these will be coming out after that date. Now I've already had an interesting chat this morning with someone but my second guest, I'm very excited to talk to him, he's um, he's already made a few cheeky comments about my um, 70s style-esque stand which uh, anyone that knows me knows boho chic is a term I prefer to use. It's like to stand out in the crowd and that's what we certainly do in the engineering sector but his name less about me more about him is Ian Gardner and Ian Gardner is the UK account technology leader at IBM. Welcome Ian. Thank you Nicole and uh, <laughs> thank you for all the kind of what is it nouveau chic is it? <laughs> What, what do you call it? Boho chic. Boho chic, yes. <laughs> Lots of, um, I don't know, furs and... Uh, Fake fur, faux fur, faux fur, faux fur, just for those that are listening. We've got, you know, Rachel's vegan, faux fur. Um, why are you here today, Ian, other than to talk to me, obviously? Why, I'm sure that's not the only reason you've come to Subcon, although, you know, some would say it should be. But why are you here at Subcon today? Um simple answer is that I was here to talk on a panel, which yeah. we just finished now, and that was uh, to discuss bounce backability, which is a horrible word. Uh, so there was a panel of four of us talking about how manufacturing can bounce back from you know the issues that we've all been faced with, with the pandemic. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of manufacturers have, have, have done okay within the pandemic, surprisingly so. Uh, a lot have survived, but also, um, you know, the, it's almost like we we always seem to be facing new challenges that we didn't expect before. Yeah. Um, particularly around su- supply chain and, and what have you. And, and I don't know how we can plan for these because it seems to be one thing after another mm. at the moment. We didn't expect a pandemic. We knew that Brexit was coming along. Mm. Um, we didn't know what that would mean. Mm. So we thought it might, you know, expect the worst. Uh, but there was... Some cases, a bit of, you know, from some parties, optimism. Other parties, you know, a bit of uh, fear, concern. But then the pandemic came. uh, And then I think there was the, what is it, the Evermore ship that got stuck on the Suez Canal. Yeah. Uh, That kind of highlighted the challenges that we have with the uh, global supply chains at the moment. In that one boat (laughs) managed to uh, cause a whole world of problems uh, globally. 
just because we couldn't ship things around mm. um, through the Suez Canal. And, and so it's continued where we've had, uh, what is it, the energy spike? And, and the energy spike was, was increasing, you know, last year. Was not, it? Not this year, yeah. It was, it was kind of going up exponentially, uh, particularly gas prices. Mm. Um, and then we had panic buying, we've had... Um, what else have we had? Well, now energy prices are going even higher. Mm. And now we've got that war in uh, Ukraine. Which it's is, a lot. You know, t- terrible. So it seems to be one thing after another. Yeah. So how... G- so, I mean, it is a lot, isn't it? When you think of it like that, it's just a lot of things that you can't... Like you say, you can't predict. You don't know they're going to happen and they've all come one after another. What... With your panel discussion, what kept, what was coming up? What was kind of, you know, what was the discussion that was coming up? Um, I mean, the, the challenges that are facing industry at the moment uh, seem to be around, you know, lots of things. We've got higher raw material costs. Yeah. Higher labour co- labor costs. So there's a lot of cost pressures there. Yeah. Uh, but also, you know staff availability getting people labor shortages that's been coming up a lot this morning actually definitely yeah and how how can you deal with that because mm. the demand's there you know, we can see that mm. but you know in the past you'd be looking at how you can take cost out of um, your production making things more efficient mm. but now what you're looking at is is how can you um, meet those demands but with the workforce that you've got because mm. you can try and hire it's competitive marketplace. Wages are going up, uh, so it's more about how you can get more from the people that you've got. Yes. You know, the good people. So getting more value from them, raising, raising those skills, raising the value that they can give, um, all the mundane tasks, etc. Yeah. If you can try and automate those, uh, I don't mean by robots or whatever. There's lots of alternatives there that can can. But it's not about replacing people. It's more about, you know, kind of say, okay, well, I've got so many employees, uh, rather than those people keeping the lights on or doing, you know, boring, monotonous tasks, giving them something more interesting to do where it really changes that business. Okay, that's interesting. And what, and I mean, so Subcon is a show, the people that are exhibiting here, is that, and and obviously the audience that are coming along, why why is that so important that we get that across? from a supply chain manufacturing background or engineering yeah. background, if I look at the maturity scale on in the world of digitization, manufacturing is probably quite low mm. in that maturity scale. Uh, paper works, and a lot of these organizations use paper because it does work, uh, but we've got to move beyond that. And what do you think, why do you think, I mean, look, why do you think that, I mean, I've been in this sector for, like I mentioned, well, I don't know if I did or not, but about 25, maybe even 30 years, but is it's it has always felt like it's a little bit behind is that just because we've got used to doing things and we don't like change and now that the speed of things have accelerated so fast we're trying to play catch up and ex- you know why why do you feel like we are behind i think it's just part of the evolutionary curve yeah. of certain industries so if you look at finance yeah they went through that digitization um, kind of transformation mm-hmm. in when was it 50s 60s 70s yeah. But they're very, very data-driven yeah. organisations. In the past, when you go to the bank, you'd fill in a paper slate, someone else had fill in, fill in a paper slate, yeah. and so it carried on. And, and things used to take forever. Um, but now it's all digital. Yeah. Yeah, you don't even think about it. People, we haven't got people pushing paper 
around. I mean, it does exist, yeah, but not to the same levels as it used to. Uh, manufacturing is much the same, except that it wasn't so data intensive. So it was the, the transformation is far more difficult in the manufacturing space. Yeah. So the data is within the machines often, or we've got fantastic Legos machines that that do you know a great job. They're accurate, they perform well, but you don't get any data from those machines. Mm. And and it is all data. Data is the important thing here. It's kind of a, the the oil fuels industry and, and everything else. That's the only way you can you can. I don't know, get more from the business that you're, you're mm. running. But manufacturing, it's, it's catching up. And I'm not saying catching up because it was behind. It's just that's the nature of manufacturing. But that yeah. will change. And, um, but the other side to it is that the manufacturing base, the most organisations, they're not massive organisations. Mm. They're, they're all small organisations that are providing a a really, really critical part of that supply chain might mm. be making, you know, one tiny component that's a critical component of a bigger, you know, tier one manufacturer. So if you've got, a, you know, a, a 50 employees in an organisation, who's going to manage that digital transformation? Yeah. Who, where's, where's that knowledge going to come from? Mm. I, I, that's, you know, it's, I, I asked, I always remember I was over in Germany a few, was it, a couple of years ago, and I was asking the audience, well, what is it that's holding manufacturers back from digital transformation? And the two answers that kind of shone out were uh, fear and uh, the owners. That's interesting, isn't it? So, so the fear side, I think that is a lack of understanding or misunderstanding. Lack of education almost about it, yeah. Yeah, it's that kind of, well, we don't really, under- this is not our world. Yeah, we'll stay away from that. We're not sure about that. We'll just stick to what we're doing. We won't change. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, you know, we've been managing this like this for, for, for long enough. We'll be okay. Mm. Uh, we'll let someone else make those changes. And then, you know, if they do well, then we may start, you know, going down that avenue ourselves. But the... The owner side of it, the way I interpret it, that is that I don't see, or I, I, I can now, but I don't see, uh, I don't believe that they could see the business case. Mm. It was hard to quantify it. Yeah. Because it was doing things in a completely different way. So instead of saying, okay, well, if we change this machine, we can, we can turn out, uh, you know, a million widgets rather than 100,000 widgets per machine, you can quantify that. And that is it, isn't it? Because you're right, as an owner, you do have to, everything has to be quantified. I mean, as an yep. owner myself, it's like, well, what am I going to get on my return? And, but what, you, what are you going to lose if you don't step up as well? What are you going to lose out on is a big thing, isn't it? Yeah, um, but that mindset's changed. It has, Because yeah. suddenly the pandemic came along the last two years, mm. you know, with all these cost pressures, etc. That opportunity to... Or, or the, the, the choice to sit back and see what's happening doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's almost like you've got to innovate. You've got to do things differently. You've got to accept all this innovation uh, and, and digital transformation. Otherwise, you're, you're not going to survive. You're not going to be able to maintain what you're doing with the, um, you know, the, the way that you're working at the moment. And so how does your role within IBM sort of assist with that? What's talked to me a bit more about that? Sort of how can, you know, because you're very knowledgeable in this subject. <laughs> how can you help more of these companies that need, you know, need, need this help? And I think sometimes one thing I've found is that 
Now, I work for a large technology, technology organisation yeah. and we'll often go into companies and we'll be talking about AI, machine learning, yeah. all the cool, exciting stuff because it, it is exciting. Yes, it is, very. But for a lot of organisations, it's not relevant mm. because they're so far down the maturity curve that you know it's out of reach. Mm. So it's almost off-putting yeah. uh, as far as well. Okay, well, yeah, I, I like that, but we've got to start somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so my, my role is to work with large organisations to advise them on their strategies, yeah. try and build some roadmaps, try and get more, get more potential out of the technologies that they have, mm-hmm. but also try and avoid some of those pitfalls, you mm-hmm. know, where, where sometimes you see in an organisation, it's either uh, fear or naivety, where they'll take a decision and... So fear might stop them from taking that decision, or that naivety will be force them to take a decision, and then there'll there'll be bad consequences from that. That's very. I mean, that is a very logical and uh, true answer, isn't it? Because that that's come up again as well. It's like if you don't do if you don't do it right, you could end up starting back <laughs> worse than you were before because you've got to go through it all again. You know. Yeah, and then engineers like to do things right. Yeah. Well, I mean, absolutely. So culturally, you've, you've got that paradigm shift of, you know, in technology world now, it's kind of fail fast yeah. and, and, you know, kind of embrace failure. Uh, I don't think that really sits very well with engineering. No, I think you're right. I mean, I'm always, I always say to my team, I'm like, you know, you learn from your mistakes and <laughs> risks, um, you know, calculated risks, but yeah. risk taking. If you don't take a risk, you're not necessarily going to know. But I'm in the world of PR and marketing. <laughs> I'm not necessarily an engineer as such. So I think it is a little bit different, like you say. How do you see things evolving over the next couple of years or five years from your perspective? Uh, I think that organisations need to think about where where they can introduce technology. Start mm. small and mm. scale out, rather than going for the big bang approaches. Yeah. Uh, back office systems are there mm. in, in most organisations, mm. but what they need to now do is start looking at the call face, yeah. kind of the operational type activities. Now that's a challenge because the back office you've got a complexity of, of scale, mm. um, where change takes time, etc. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I get that. Uh, but when you get to the call face, uh, you know, on the shop floor, uh, the complexity is different in that you've got a complexity of um, a variety of, 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 of volume, mm. a veracity of, of, of data and activities. So that takes a hell of a lot more management and control. But, yes. you, also, but you also need that agility at mm. that point. So the back office, that doesn't change that much. There are things that change. But the front office, that's the stuff that you need to introduce agility. You need to look at what consumer demands. So consumers at the moment, their tolerance is decreasing. Isn't it just? Yep. <laughs> so, so they want more in less time. Yeah. They, want, they want more features. Yeah. Uh, the, the experience needs to be better. Mm. Um, you've also got, you know, different expectations as far as how it delivers it uh, so you know the, the way that solutions are designed you know as far as be it a, a product mm. or a service or, or whatever needs to uh, kind of you need to investigate that you need to understand it so you need to adopt new principles mm. um, probably coming from the technology sector I hate to say not always but looking at things like design thinking mm. uh, taking these agile approaches where you can say okay well what's 
we'll, we'll introduce some more ideation into the way we do things, but looking at what has the highest impact, uh, the highest feasibility, mm. and those no-brainers, no looking at those things first, rather than trying to boil the ocean yeah. and come up with a big solution. And if it doesn't work, you know, then who cares? You know, you started small. Yeah. Just, just park it or throw it in the bin and, and then start again. And, but by using data mm. uh, or, or embracing data, you can get more insight into, you know, what those experiences are, uh, be it in feedback loops where designs uh, kind of feed into production, into consumer experience and closing that loop. So often you find that someone creates something and you've got an engineer out there because engineers are smart and they'll say well you know I know if I tap this to the left then this will all to go together mm. uh, the designer won't know that mm. because they're, they're totally oblivious but it's only if the designer knew that there was kind of a, a, a bit of a intervention you know a very small intervention they could have designed that into the product and then that could change through you know it could be a tiny tiny little change uh, but but data is a funny thing. If, if we want to exploit data, there are four layers that, that you need to think about. One is the collection of data. Yeah. That, is, that could be from other systems. It could be by adding sensors, IoT devices, etc., or data from machines, which is not always easy. Mm. Um, but then that data needs organizing. It needs kind of classifying. It needs uh, categorizing. Because until you start doing that work, and that is the biggest part of the job, to be honest, actually organising that data, you can't really do any analytics. And, and often you'll see you know, people coming up with ideas as to, or, or the way that we look at machines or data that's coming from those, you'll see a temperature and you'll think, okay, well, that's, yeah, that, looks, that looks like a temperature reading. But you don't realise it's an average temperature mm. or you don't realise it's you know, a maximum temperature or anything because of the labelling that's incorrect on there. And that can cause real problems because people lose trust in that data, at least trust in the analytics that's happened because it's just, it's just a consequence of, um, of, of a lack of, of clarity there in the data. But once you've, once you've organised it, you can start saying, OK, well, now we can start doing analytics. And then you can start looking at AI. But AI is something that is that, is that kind of top layer yeah. where you can infuse it into your activities. So where it can help you um, take decisions, where it can help you in understanding what's happening, where the anomalies are, uh, or even just augmenting what people are doing. It's all very, very data-centric. So this, it seems like the main thing is to start just start start small and start, scale out yeah start start somewhere basically but definitely start looking at it oh without a doubt you know if you don't do anything it's not going away it's not going away you might be going away not as in you but the company might be going away if they don't start looking yeah and if you look at um you know most organizations now where they've got this contention of, of resources yeah you've got people really skilled people yeah that are just keeping the lights on Mm. which is, a, you know, you need them. Um, if it didn't keep the lights on, everything would stop. But there are ways that you can automate that mm. through technology. So it's not about taking people out, as I said earlier, 
at augmenting what they do. So, for example, if you've got someone who's monitoring, you know, databases and everything and saying, oh, okay, well, we'll extend the table space on this, all that can be automated. Yeah. So you can have, um, if there's an issue, technical issue, you can use things like AI ops and what have you. Sorry, I'm confusing you with terminology here, but mm. um, what that can do is it can intervene in, into a situation where something stopped working. And rather than you having to wait till something goes, you know, someone says, oh, this isn't working. Um, actually, it's been fixed before it's, it's actually broken. It's, uh, yeah, about being a f- more efficient and then making that more effective. Yeah, yeah. Or, um, you know, given the fact that we've got supply chain issues, mm. if you look at your customer service team, they're probably inundated with people phoning, phoning up on Wavi at the moment saying, is it here yet? Where's my stuff? What's happening with my order? That's all a bad use of your time. And if you're the person, you know, you're, cus- you're a customer who's making those calls, you get frustrated. Because, yeah. I mean, we all experience these things where you're just thinking, just tell me where my stuff is. Yes. Um, by using uh, mature technologies like, you know, digital assistants and what have you, good ones, not... Yeah, there's a lot of bad ones out there. Yeah, oh yeah. But uh, a good digital assistant should be able to say, okay, well, where's my order? Yeah, it's it's stuck on the Suez Canal. You know, we're trying to sort it all out, Um, or it'll be with me next week. Or someone could say, okay, well, what's the what's the dimensions? What's the weight of this product? They can be respond. They can be answered by a digital assistant, Mm. which means the only more complex queries can be handled by humans. I like that. You've been very interesting to talk to, Ian. I'm, I'm, I, I, I love doing these shows because th- it just starts me thinking about all sorts of things. So, are you going to be? Are you going to be having a wander around and talking to some people today? You're going to, going to, yeah, go, go around and. Is there anything you're hoping to see here yourself, or is it just a sort of have a look around and see what other people are doing? Uh, just my normal curiosity, I suppose. <laughs> Find out, find out what people are doing. Mischievous curiosity, I think. <laughs> yeah, normally, normally is. But uh, just, just to find out things. And, yeah. Uh, um, I have an interest in robotics, so if I can, I, I, I need a spring at the moment. So if I can, kind of, um, I don't know. I've got a spring in my step, but that's about all I've got. I'm afraid. <laughs> it's been lovely to talk to you. Thank, thank you, you so much for coming on and um, a really, really interesting chat. So thank you so much, Ian. Have a great rest of Subcon show. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Nicole. Thanks. Cheers.